At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. A wise man once said, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. For the tick, reality is a product of temperature and butyric acid. Its perception of the world is its reality. The bloodhound has 200 million scent receptors. Its perception of the world is based fundamentally on smell. A dog doesn't reason. A tick never thinks about the universe in any way separate from its biological interactions with the universe. Human beings, on the other hand. Human beings are the only animal that forms ideas about their world. We perceive it, not through our bodies, but through our minds. We must agree on what is real. Because of this, we are the only animal on Earth that goes mad. Happy hair season. Welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to the machine, my son, and the means to escape it. Welcome to madness. Welcome to waking up. Welcome to both. I know I've been yammering a lot lately about insanity and mental illness, supporting it with intro beginnings like this one from Legion, spoken by the omniscient narrator John Hamm. But it needs to be done, and there will be more regular fare in November. You see, that wickedness in high places continues to fragment our consciousness, bombarding our minds with toxic misinformation and ransacking our souls with guerrilla propaganda. So this is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. It's only gonna get worse soon with the sham election, the mirror maze holidays, the next psyop or two in 2021. Only gonna get worse. What do all men with power want? More power. So we must get better quickly. And we are getting better here at AM Bytnostic Radio, where Hermes leads us through new doors of perception of possibility, of divine remembrance, all the way to our authentic self. This year is not just one apocalypse across the globe, but countless apocalypses happening in our psyches. Little Armageddons that only we, the freak and the outcasts, understand and can relish in, thrive in. That is us. We veterans of a thousand psychic wars who have set the controls to the heart of the sun. Junkies and masochists and hookers and those who have squandered everything 
are the ring of brightest angels around heaven. God loves the sinners best because our fire burns bright, bright, bright. We need to get better quickly. On this episode, we'll learn some awfully hard truths about our consciousness and unconscious. About the collective consciousness and unconscious. A mixture of red and black pill suppositories. The bad news? We are all schizophrenic, suffer from multiple personality disorder, and are disconnected to sensible reality. The good news? We are all schizophrenic, suffer from multiple personality disorder, and are disconnected to sensible reality. We are legion, but this time we won't go into swine and off a damn cliff, but we'll integrate it all, and all that will be left is ourselves, our true selves. We are legion. I think I understand. It's not about being alone, or about being in love. It's about the things you survived. As it's written, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. I am still Miguel Connor, your pompadus of Gnosis. As crazy as you, but a crazy shining diamond just like you. Stone Temple Pilot Sank flies in the Vaseline we are. Sometimes it blows my mind. And the song Grease goes? Now, Grease is the way we are feeling. This is the life of illusion. Wrapped up in trouble, laced with confusion. What are we doing here? Birth is a curse and existence is a prison. Both songs are right, but I would quote Thomas Merton for a solution to this archontic lard. I cannot discover God in myself and myself in him unless I have the courage to face myself exactly as I am, with all my limitations, and to accept others as they are, with all their limitations. The religious answer is not religious if it's not fully real. Evasion is the answer of superstition. It's hard to hate someone you understand. But the advantage to meeting others in the meantime is that one of them may present you to yourself. Yes, we are legion, but we are ready to face all of ourselves and the voices in our heads. In this eternal now, we have the aeonic pleasure being joined by Jungian Rachel Connerly, who will be discussing what is really the most important concept Jung ever conceived. It's not as sexy as archetypes, shadow work, synchronicities, and the active imagination. But crucial, so crucial, more than ever. That is complexes. We are all schizophrenic, full of multiple personalities. More fragmented as the powers and principalities cover us in more archontic lard in 2020. 
Understanding complexes will bring you closer to God, to individuation, to your authentic self, your soul. Down through the centuries, the notion that life is wrapped in a dream has been a pervasive theme of philosophers and poets. So doesn't it make sense that death too would be wrapped in dream? That after death, your conscious life would continue? I mean, you know, if you can wake up, you should. Because, you know, someday, you know, you won't be able to. So just, um, but it's easy. You know, just, just wake up. Make sure all of your identities listen to Rachel's high octane gnosis. And as Rachel bade me to mention, make sure you tell yourself this quote from the Gospel of Thomas. Every day, every breath you take, every time you face the establishment out there. If you bring forth what is within you, what you have will save you. If you do not have that within you, what you do not have within you will kill you. Hitting bottom isn't a weekend retreat. It's not a goddamn seminar. Stop trying to control everything and just let go. Let go! Time for playing is over, my beloved true seekers. Or more like it's time to play the game of Hermes, the god of thieves, and the song of Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Love isn't going to save us. It's what we have to save. Pain makes us strong enough to do it. All our scars, our anger, our despair, it's armor. With complexes and all Aeon by content, you have the insights and tools now, not to mention finding Hermes. I mean, the reality is that the Gnostic Gospels, like the show Legion or any work by David Lynch, any Pink Floyd or Bowie album for that matter, at their core are treatises on insanity and how to not overcome insanity, but make it work for you. The Demiurge is the great cautionary tale on the warped, disconnected ego, or narcissism itself. The Rape of Eve is an exposition on disassociation from ritual abuse and the means to heal. The Gospel of Thomas is about Didymus Thomas having a therapy session with his higher self. Sophia's fall from the Pleroma is a great lesson on what happens when a capacity of the psyche doesn't work with all other aspects. Sophia and Jesus united is a harmony of reason and wisdom, anima and animus, that supreme alchemical wedding. And Sophia splitting off into several characters through the myths as her son, Yaldibaldi, splits off into countless archons as he rules the universe is, well, all about the neurosis of segregated personalities and how to integrate them. And on and on I could go, but you get it. You're the most dangerous thing about schizophrenia. You're not. The most dangerous thing is believing you don't have it. That's the trick. The mind killer. Your disease convinces you you don't have it. The time for playing is over. 
beyond the destruction of this world by the rulers of this age and our eternal enslavement. The truth is, as I told Laura London on her podcast, that our psyches are not fucking around. Our psyches want wholeness, but they want us to be mercenary. As Jung wrote, If the demand for self-knowledge is will by fate and is refused, this negative attitude may end in real death. The demand would not have to come to this person had he still been able to strike out some promising bypath. But he is caught in a blind alley from which only self-knowledge can extricate him. If he refuses this, then no other way is open to him. Usually he is not conscious of his situation, either. And the more unconscious he is, the more he is at the mercy of unforeseen dangers. He cannot get out of the way of a car quickly enough. In climbing a mountain, he misses his foothold somewhere. Out skiing, he thinks he can just negotiate a tricky slope. And in an illness, he suddenly loses the courage to live. The unconscious has a thousand ways of snuffing out a meaningless existence with surprising swiftness. The connection of the union mentalis with the death motive is therefore obvious. Even when death consists only of the cessation of spiritual progress. You never see her. She's a suicide. Suicides go somewhere else. What are you punishing her for? No, it's not punishment. She suffered enough. No, no, no. There are no judges or crimes here. Everybody's equal. It's just reality and the way things work. Yeah, and the reality is suicides go to hell. No goddamn judgment in that. In other words, you have a mission to take. And if you don't, the Aeons will ruin your meat sack incarnation and find another avatar. I think you're ready for this task because you are the freaking outcast. In Legion, David Howler had to integrate all his personalities, his complexes, to be individuated enough to finish his mission to defeat the Shadow King and heal ruptured time itself. You ready? It's a hard and wary fight, that of the true seeker warrior, as Kabir wrote. But anything else would be sane. And sane hasn't worked this century. You know what crazy is? Crazy is majority rules. Yeah, huh? Led us to the interview with the amazing Rachel Connerly. Oh, but, but first, uh, some more hard news. You see, bad ideas and mental illness are just as contagious as the coronavirus. And there is this thing called nocebos the elite use against us. And, well, and reality is not even reality, but an agreed-upon contagion. I'll let the omniscient narrator of Legion explain more. Eh, we'll deal with this too as we write our own gospel and live our own myth together one last time. You've heard of the placebo effect, but are you aware 
of the nocebo effect, in which the human body has a negative physical reaction to a suggested harm. Your mind has the power to create its own physical reality. This will make you vomit. Why do we yawn when we see others yawn? Throughout history, there have been incidents. The dancing plague of 1518. The Tanganyika laughter epidemic. The Hindu milk miracle. Some believe they're a response to stress. Psychologists call it a conversion disorder, in that the body converts a mental stress to a set of physical symptoms, in this case, a tick or spasm. And, like any disorder, it can be contagious. This kind of collective behavior is not limited to human beings. What we know is that in certain communities, under specific circumstances, an involuntary physical symptom developed by one person can become viral and spread from person what was that? To person. Person. Until the entire community is infected. And so my question to you is, if the idea of illness can become illness, what else about our reality is actually a disorder? This is the Aeon Byte interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Rachel Connerly. Rachel, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Miguel. And with us, too, as always, we have the complex man himself, Vance the Moondog. Vance, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm just sitting here arranging my complexes into a triangle shape, you know, to, <laughs> to keep myself occupied <laughs> until yes. the interview starts. So yeah. ready to go. Awesome. Yeah, well, this is going to be a good one. As uh, I've talked to Rachel before, the idea of a complex is so essential. And uh, shame on me, even though I have interviewed dozens of Jungian, Jungian scholars, therapists, it's just something we've danced around, we've uh, not addressed. But once I really delved into it, it has really been transformative, enlightening, and in many ways, another red pill. So uh, I'm glad that we got together to finally get this done, Rachel. Me too. I'm thrilled. So before we get into the main event, uh, let's get to know a little bit about yourself, Rachel. It seems you were an individual as young. You were born already underneath the uh, say uh, topics of both spirituality and psychotherapy from yeah. your parents. Yeah, that's right. I inherited that from parents, but also aunts and uncles on both sides, Miguel. So I like to say I was raised at the intersection of psychology and spirituality. So it was um, a mother and father who were trained clergy people in the Presbyterian Church and who later trained as marriage and family therapists. And again, aunts and uncles on both sides of the family, very spiritually minded uh, psychologists and psychotherapists and all that had a big impact on me. 
And um, so, for example, you know, growing up, there were many Jungian books on the shelves um, at my house and exploring the meaning of my dreams at the breakfast table with my father was a regular practice. Hearing from him um, anonymously, of course, about his own clients, uh, as well as some of my mother's clients was always fascinating to me. And so I can kind of look back and see that becoming self-sufficient and becoming one's own authority were key themes for me growing up. And I'm going to weave that in later to this topic of complexes that we're here to talk about today. But so much so that as I graduated from college and tried to join the work world, I wasn't uh, able to function all that well in hierarchical organizations especially ones with hierarchically minded supervisors. So, you know, I tended to think there was something wrong with me. And uh, using Jungian psychology, I, I know different now. But after college, I spent 12 years working for some very capable people who taught me a great deal about the various aspects of organizational work before deciding to start my own thing. And I'll just say, you know, my MO has always been to find the best teacher I can uh, find within an area of interest and then sort of chop wood and carry water while I learn from them. So this is, to me, a real work in real time approach. And uh, as an experiential learner, that's that's the way to go for me. I'm very much an autodidact. Um, A good teacher to me, Miguel, is someone who works in your area of interest, but is further along the path. And so through a series of intuitive decisions and synchronistic events, I ended up in the organizational end of people development. Now, as I said earlier, my parents and aunts and uncles were all uh, people helpers, people development people. And my forte became leadership and management development. And so I created and led training programs, offsite retreats, and so forth. And this all led to a one-on-one coaching of organizational leaders. And finally, a desire to help these leaders attain what I call the holy grail of leadership, which is actually the creation of a unified, high-performing team. It's what keeps leaders up at night, not having that. And this led to an awareness of the limitations of hierarchy and especially its predictable and negative byproducts. And so I like to say that human beings are biological, social, psychological, and spiritual creations. And the problem is that hierarchy can play hardball with these natural human aspects and it can hold us back from actually individuating and becoming our own authority. And so after one particular meeting with a leadership team, I was packing up my belongings. I was reflecting on how our session had gone. And I thought to myself, you know, my clients are really happy with me. And I know I'm helping them in important ways, but they are not becoming self-sufficient in terms of their ability to do for themselves what it is I do for them. And I thought further that, you know, it would probably take at least 10 years of therapy and personal development 
on their part before they could become self-sufficient. And even that might not do it. And my final thought on that day as I packed up my stuff was that I need a new theology for my work. I didn't know what that thought meant at the time, but it began to kind of unfold in front of me uh, over the weeks, months, and even years to come. And so I knew I needed a new paradigm. That's to me what a new theology was about. And I knew I needed one that would actually enable me not to become a load-bearing wall in the system. And a load-bearing wall is one, of course, you guys probably know this, but if you remove it, the structure collapses. And so my role with my clients was similar. They, they couldn't do what I was doing, nor could they assimilate it and learn it. It just wasn't in that format. And so this was good for business, but it wasn't good for my clients. And so I would just ask you now to fast forward with me to today, and my colleagues and I teach an alternative paradigm to hierarchy. It's called the Collaborative Operating System, and it was created to produce results, but in a way that actually supports and develops every aspect of our humanity. And the COS, that's what we call it, is a set of concepts, tools, skills, and templates that actually enable people to create a biologically, socially, psychologically and spiritually healthy approach to their work. And so I'm, I'm going to take us now right to our topic, and, and that is I'm going to say that after launching and getting good results from the collaborative operating system, we met a big stumbling block. And it was especially with our young practitioners who did not have a conscious relationship to authority. You know, power and authority are the values in a hierarchical system. They are the currency traded, and the more power and authority you have, the more you can accomplish. And so most young people entering an organization, they don't have much of either. And that can be addressed using the collaborative operating system, but there's a huge issue. And that is that they had a relationship or a concept of power and authority that had been imprinted upon them, indoctrinated into them. And so this is why I launched with my colleagues the Inner Journey Retreat. This was in order to help people conceptualize and create a healthy relationship to authority so they could be high-functioning and productive within the hierarchy. And so my, my colleague in this endeavor as uh, a Jungian psychotherapist, and he rightly says that authority is the central issue around which the ego develops. You know, he says we can think of our lives as a commentary on our ego's relationship to authority. And so for many, many people, the problem is their complexes are the authority. Their complexes um, are looming large and in charge. There's not a sufficiently mature, well-developed ego structure that's in charge. And so all of that brings us to the topic of our conversation today. 
Very cool. And thanks for sharing that. And yes, the the topic is indeed complexes. And maybe later on, we can talk more about your work on collaborative leaders, because most of us are still stuck in a <laughs> Dilbert or The Office or name your favorite show or book about the uh, yeah. well, dysfunctional reality of businesses, which as you're saying, is as above, so below is just a reflection of the psyche. So, But before we get into the complexes and, and really uh, get our hands dirty, perhaps we should talk about the territory of the psyche so the audience can understand what we're really dealing with, because we still live in a world where many simply think that all there is is the ego and what we perceive as reality and then there's just the unconscious sort of sputtering away. But Rachel, tell us about the psyche and its territories, the architecture of the psyche. Okay, good. That That's a great segue. Let's do that. So uh, we used to think of the psyche or uh, model it for the inner journey participants as a three-storied universe. Now, this was a very good model for these beginners, these young people. And of course, all models break down at some level of introspection. Uh, this one not excluded from that. But it worked to kind of uh, bootstrap us into a way that people could hack their own psyche, if you will. So the, the psyche is a three-storied universe. And I just, I want you to picture an oval shape in portrait form, an egg shape, the cosmic egg, if you will, <laughs> and then have it divided into three parts. All right. And this division, these three sections, top, middle, and bottom, are divided by a line that is formed with a series of dashes. In other words, this is a permeable line. Material can flow in and out of these three different aspects of the psyche I'm going to share with you. So at the top level, we, we call that consciousness. And the primary dynamic within consciousness is the ego. And I, I often refer to this aspect as uh, the command central, if you will, the, the driving room uh, of the spaceship. Now, the middle section is the personal unconscious. And the primary dynamic within the personal unconscious is complexes, at least as I see it. And we're going to talk primarily about that today and its impact on that top level consciousness and the ego. And then at the bottom is the collective unconscious, and archetypes are the primary dynamic that we taught and spoke about in the collective unconscious. And so, um, you know, the, the ego's two biggest fears are overwhelmment and abandonment. And the personal unconscious is constantly... Uh, with many people, flooding through that permeable membrane, if you will, the ego, the command central station, the, the aspect of consciousness. So, yeah, that's probably a good start. Any questions about that? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I just had a visual of a 
again, we're talking about the business world. So the ego is like the boss at the top who's getting all these emails every five seconds. People are walking through the door. I need this. Did you sign this? Uh, the, the spouse is calling on the phone. That's basically the ego. It's always getting flooded by the complexes and probably other energies too, shadow and so forth. Right on, right on. And so, you know, one of the, the most important things we would lay out for people, and you could just see their eyes get big, big as saucers, and oh my God, no one's ever told me about this, um, is the ages and stages of development that Jung talked about. And so what he said basically was that, you know, for ages zero through seven, the parents are the authority. The parents tell the kids what the norms are, what the boundaries are. And by the way, this includes stand-ins for the parents as well. So it could be teachers or babysitters or uh, grandparents, that sort of thing. And then at seven, age seven through 14, it transitioned. And it wasn't just parents and the stand-ins anymore. It was also peers and now peers begin to have a big impact on the child. Tell them what the boundaries and the norms are, the behaviors. This is why we care so much who their friends are, increasingly so as the child becomes an adolescent and gets older, because the impact is so huge. And then the next seven-year increment is 14 through 21. And ages 14 20 through 21, it's peers alone, man. And um, <clears throat> anyone who's had a kid that's become a teenager can can validate this. Oh, yeah. yeah, suddenly <laughs> you are persona non grata. <laughs> but yeah. the thing I want to call your attention to is at age 21, because who's the authority now? And this is the mandate that Jung talked about. It's up for grabs at age 21. Who's going to be the authority? And the ego's job is to sufficiently develop itself so that it can become a worthy authority, right? And people that aren't ready to take on the authority, and God knows, you know, our educational systems and our uh, popular culture just makes us uh, anything but authority worthy. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they might go into the military if they have a strong need for external authority, or they just go into any hierarchical organization, and now they've got a boss, maybe several of them, you know, up the food chain. Uh, but the mandate is, is to develop one's own authority, and complexes have an awful lot to do with this, as, as you'll see as we go through this. Great. So why don't we get to a definition of a complex or an elevator pitch? I'm sure nobody's ever, you haven't been in an elevator and somebody has walked in and said, hey, how about the weather? Oh, by the way, what do you think of a complex? That's never happened, but here we are. Maybe we could start that practice. <laughs> I'll go next time I'm in an elevator. I'm just going to All look. right. All right, I, I'm going to offer you a definition from Daryl Sharp's book, which is called C.G. Jung Lexicon, a Primer of Terms and Concepts. And what he said was, uh, co a complex is an emotionally charged group of ideas or images 
It's feeling-toned ideas that over the years accumulate around certain archetypes, for instance, mother and father. When complexes are constellated, they are invariably accompanied by effect. They are always relatively autonomous. Complexes in themselves are not negative. Only their effects often are. Complexes are the building blocks of the psyche and the source of all human emotions. Now, that's what he said. It's pretty, pretty broad, don't you think? Yes. I think we probably <laughs> need some examples or yeah. uh, something like that because, as some unions have said, isn't the ego a complex? Yes. The main complex or the driving complex? I'm not sure how to, how to say it. No, no, I think you're saying it terrifically. But honestly, I have not uh, gone so very far into that because for the people we were training, they weren't unions. They'd never heard of CGU. <laughs> and we just, yeah, we just wanted to teach them enough about complexes that they weren't getting exploited through their complexes uh, so very often. And so... Um, you know, we kept it pretty simple, as the model indicates. Too simple for anybody who's done an awful lot of Jung reading and is sophisticated in, in Jung's work. I'll just say, though, as a disclaimer, you know, I call my work Jung in practice uh, because to me it was just, um, I never read Jung directly or rarely. I always read him secondhand or thirdhand because there's so many good people, good writers uh, like James Hollis, the foremost Jung writer in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who are able to really do a very good job of translating Jung for us. So I call my work Jung in practice, and it's the best way I know to practice different aspects of Jung psychology. And today we're talking about complexes, which, by the way, are, uh, from my perspective, the most usable uh, aspect of Jung's psychology, the most apprehendable, and um, yeah, yeah. That, that's oh, yeah, I mean. because, I mean, even back in the day when Jung started his work on complexes, even Freud was very impressed and was always like, this is the main usable part of what you've discovered, Carl. Wow. And wow. I think, didn't he want to call his work complex psychology or something like yeah. that? I can't remember. Yeah, before it was called analytical psychology, um, it was complex psychology, and that was a, a big contender. <laughs> but I'm glad analytical psychology won out because it's a good umbrella under which complexes, you know, can feature. Yes, and uh, it's definitely it's definitely been overlooked and we can get into the reasons i like to say because my complexes don't want to allow it they're trying to stay stay hidden if they can or my ego doesn't want to understand it so um well let's get into uh, an example of a complex i can give you an example from me or you can give an example from you and then we can sort of break it down the triggers what to do about it and all that 
Sure. Well, is it all right if I talk a little bit about the characteristics of a complex yes, as yes, a way please. to kind of onboard us before we spring our own complexes? <laughs> before the audience? We lay our cards on the table <laughs> and have <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. please do, Rachel. All right. So we called these fun facts about complexes uh, in the inner journey retreat. And so one of the things to know is that a mood is a synonym for a complex. Anytime somebody's in a mood, they're in a complex. And this can be a brooding mood, an anger mood, or even a happy mood. You know what it's like when somebody's kind of in a happy, overly happy <laughs> mood? Yes, it's been, I hate them before I've had my coffee. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. So mood is a synonym for a complex. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but overwhelmment and abandonment are the key instigators of a complex. That means a trigger, right? What sets that off means a, a complex. Trigger. That's the way they get constellated. Okay. You know, somebody walks out on us and abandons us or ignores us or leaves us off an email thread, uh, or they overwhelm us with perhaps just their sheer personality or with their chaos or with their neurosis, you know, whatever it is. Um, complexes are split off parts of the personality and they need to be integrated because, you know, anything that is split off from the personality, from the ego structure, uh, runs the risk of running our life and we don't even know it, you know, anything hidden has that potential, great potential. We sometimes say the ego lives in a victim complex. You know, anytime we're sick or wounded, (laughs) (laughs) we just, uh, we feel so, I know I do feel so victimized and so pitiful and pathetic. And this is going to go on and on. Um, A complex feels like an emotional undertow. And I always say it's as if it reaches up just out of the ocean, takes over consciousness overwhelms the ego and kind of pulls it down into the unconscious, just smothers it to death. Wow. And yeah, for a visual, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps you'd like to answer this. So is a complex, like for example, a part of us, like the ego that stays down hidden in the unconscious, or is it sort of a whole bunch of, I don't want to call it Legos that gets built up immediately in turns, these different energies and traumas that gets built up. Which side do you think or model does it look more like, or you would say it is? Because I like to think complex is some sort of possession. That's how I feel when I'm in a complex. I've been possessed, but I don't know if I'm being possessed by a, a completely different Miguel or I'm possessed by a, this storm of little feelings and emotions and memories and trauma, you know, surrounding some archetype. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I love that word possession. I feel like I've used it in the past, but I want to make sure I integrate it. Yeah, it is absolutely a possession. And I think of it as a possession by an alternative personality or aspect of the personality that we really aren't very familiar with, we really don't know. Um, you know, orthodoxy would say, Christian orthodoxy would, would, and this is what fascinated me when 
about orthodoxy, man, they understood complexes and they wrote uh, prolifically about how to overcome them. They called them passions, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think of the complexes as split off parts of the personality that if we will integrate them, they will allow us to become whole. They will allow us to become complex in an interesting way, you know, Spumoni ice cream versus um, plain vanilla. Boring. Um, they will enable us to become invincible in a way because we can't be exploited through the complexes, through this unknown aspect. Well, that's the way I think about them. I'm not sure I answered your question, but. No, no, it'll make more sense as we go. And so a comp, you said integrate them. So so a complex is something that's been overlooked in our lives or something that has festered. I guess the question would be, to really understand this is the difference between a complex and a shadow. Yeah. I'm not sure there is a difference. I mean, when you think about (laughs) it, it's kind of like complexes go into shadow, right? And they have to be taken out of shadow, but there is something about naming it as a complex, like going beyond shadow that I hope to convince you uh, is really key to apprehending it. So, you know, another feature of the complex that's really, to my way of thinking, one of the most important things to understand about it is the value system of the complex is I'm right. (laughs) So the complex is telling you (laughs) something that seems true. And in this way, it becomes self-reinforcing. It's like a conversation you cannot get into with your ego because it's just telling you what a piece of dog poo you are, you know, over and over <laughs> again, right? And uh, nobody else can get in the conversation either. Um, it's like a bully. <laughs> oh, it is. It is a bully. It is such a bully. Uh, and we'll talk about the different kind of popular ways the complex uh, betrays us. But um the other thing I want to tell you, because it's kind of funny, is that when you've got two people in a complex, we, we would say you've got to fight, you know? <laughs> and and my, my inner journey colleague, this uh, therapist from Houston, now Austin, uh, Pittman McGee Sr., McGee Sr., he said that, you know, what partners could do, uh, high trust, committed partnership or marriage, he said they could just take off their clothes when they realized they were in a complex. Oh, Both of them. smart. Isn't that interesting, though? And I, you, you kind of have to think about that. But he said it would just create, you know, so much um, vulnerability and transparency and perhaps even laughter, you know, some way to kind of recognize that you're in a complex. Yeah, you, you definitely have to have some sort of a marker that breaks the routine of the complex. Uh, I know during, since I started studying about complexes, I can label my complex, Good. which helps. And now it's a question of interrupting. Now, when I've told my wife she's in a complex, it doesn't go very well. No. It makes things worse. <laughs> and I've heard, yeah, you can't do it. But <laughs> so so the audience knows more uh, let me get into uh, the classic example of a complex. I, it doesn't happen to me anymore. 
Yeah. But uh, you're driving your car and then suddenly yeah. this personality, this demon man takes over me or takes sometimes takes over my wife, my, bro- my brother. He'll go into a complex when he's driving and suddenly everybody's an idiot. Everybody's slow. I need to get to where I am and I can't think and I'm screaming and cursing and I can't be reasoned with. So that is a complex that came up. Can we break down the mm-hmm. how the complex comes around? Why? I mean, like you say overwhelming and over and being abandoned. This the complex would be what you're overwhelmed because of the 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 traffic, the the voyage, or what do you think is going on that would set this complex off? Well, that's so good. That's such a great example because it's practically ubiquitous you know we've all we've all been there (laughs) and then there's a name for it right road rage exactly and and that actually makes me want to offer another feature of complexes and that is that they are contagious when they get constellated Mm -hmm. in other words when you're in a complex it pulls other people into a complex and you know this miguel is what led robert johnson to say that when you're in a complex it's like being in the mouth of the lion looking for the lion. He said, we don't have complexes. He said, they have us. Mm, And um, I don't have that road rage problem anymore, but in my twenties and thirties, I will admit to Mm. uh, just exactly what you, you described. And, you know, in a person's twenties and thirties, and, you know, we were working with young people. So this was an important thing to impress upon them you can expect to be living complex to complex and children live in a complex practically, you know, but I used to say to my colleague who was in her twenties, she'd call me up and, and she'd say, how you doing? I'd say, fine. I said, how you doing? And she'd say, Oh, you know, living complex to complex. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the point is that for many people, uh, even as they age, complexes make up the bulk of their worldview. The bulk of their worldview. And it's the complexes that are making most of their decisions for them. Who they marry, where they live, what job they can have and can't have, how they spend their time and energy, uh, whether they're good enough, whether they're measuring up. And so uh, it's really important that we get a handle on these complexes. And I, I love what you did. You, you named your complex. I, I think you, you called it labeling, but I, when I hear that, right. I think of naming. And of course the Bible tells us that's the way to uh, apprehend something. We've got, exactly. to, we've got to name it first. So um, the, the examples I want to give are, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one popular example. You know, Dr. Jekyll faces horrible consequences when he lets his dark side run wild with a potion that changes him into the animalistic Mr. Hyde. And uh, that is just really what it can be like in a complex. The other example is, for those who can remember, the Incredible Hulk. You You know, this regular Joe would turn into this giant destructive green you know bully man so um yeah so one of the things we say about complexes is it's really hard to get out of one when you're traveling 120 miles an hour into it 
And I think you were illustrating that with some of your conversation. And, you know, what we taught was that the best you can do most of the time, at least at the beginning, is just to realize you're in one. And I always told people, pledge to take no action until you come out of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're possessed. There's nothing you can do. That's right. It's like counting to 10 or something, you know? But that alone makes a huge difference. We also used to help people understand that love can stand down the complex. Miraculously, you know, somebody can be distraught or whatever they are, angry. Um, And if you bring just a kind of a big warm blanket of empathic, unmitigated empathy uh, and love, it will melt the complex. Yeah, I think uh, using the example of the road rage, I don't have it anymore, but I remember, of course, going, what the hell is happening to me? And I assumed it was just my ego, once, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously there's a complex that has taken, uh, taken over me. So empathy worked because before I got into the car, I'd simply say something like, there are other people who are driving to work, other people, there are moms stressed with kids in the back. There's Mm going to be rain. There's going to be construction. The construction workers are out in the rain and they're not happy. So we're sort of all in this together, have empathy for people and look at it logically that uh, it's not going to make a difference how angry I'm not going to get somewhere faster if I'm angry or anything like that. So all those things sort of helped. And eventually, as you would say, my complex became integrated to my ego. Yeah. Well, And what you're describing is really important because this is our goal. It is to develop a mature, well-developed ego that's capable of going toe-to-toe with the complex rather than being overwhelmed by it, you know? And to your other point, if you label or name your complexes, you know, you have a much better chance of recognizing them when they happen. And so what we would teach people to do, we, we, we use these words, we would say you need to learn to depotentiate the complex. And so to kind of modulate their expectations, we would let them know that the best we can hope for is to lessen the intensity, the frequency, and the duration of the complex slowly over time, you know, every time the complex hits, we would say, don't waste a complex, never waste a complex, take a small (laughs) bite, a small bite out of it every time. And um, the way this happens is that you find out what it wants from you and you provide what it wants and needs and you form a relationship with the complex this split off part of yourself. And in, in that way, you can start to integrate it. And so if you want, we can talk about some very specific ways to, to actually do that. Yeah, definitely. But you're not dealing with, uh, when you work with people, you're not uncovering the archetype within there, like the road rage, what archetype could be at the center, what childhood trauma could be part of it. That's not, you don't have to get that deep to solve the complex. 
You know, it can help, but then uh, we'd have to go into kind of more about archetypes, but we could speak simplistically and say, you know, if somebody has a mother complex, maybe their mother left them uh, when they were small or died when they were young. They've got a mother complex. My uh, inner journey colleague used to say he had a mother complex the size of the Houston Astrodome. <laughs> and so I remember that I lived there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what, what he meant by that was anytime somebody showed up in this kind of authoritarian mother role, he would just come undone. So, you know, the flight attendant on the airplane uh, could start ordering him to sit in a different place or this, that, and the other. And his mother complex would take over. And, uh, you know, that would be just about the end of it. And then, of course, because complexes are contagious, he would constellate uh, the flight attendant's complex and vice versa. And, you know, around and around they would go. Yeah, flying's got to be one of them. Yeah. Well, before we get into some of the solutions, Vance, I'd like to bring you in. Any questions for Rachel that you might have? Oh, yeah. I've got a whole list of them here. <laughs> whole oh, complex. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. It's a complex list. Um, <laughs> one of the things uh, we've talked mostly so far about seemingly uh, more negative aspects of the effects of complexes, but I was wondering, could things like writer's muse, you know, creative things where people say they're carried away by something like the muse uh, be uh, attributed to complexes or revelations that come to you out of the blue or, you know, actually the people that claim to be channeling, you know, where they kind of put their personality aside and something else comes and speaks through them. Ouija boards. Do those have any relationship to, uh, to complexes? Oh, I love that. Well, certainly the muse would to my way of thinking which could kind of apply to everything you, you said there. But, you know, um, the key is consciousness. And this is what Jung said over and over again, that the answer to everything is, is consciousness. And so I know I'm going all negative on these complexes, but they're only negative when they're unconscious. And when they become conscious, we take them out of dark shadow And they become part of the golden shadow, if you will. They become part of what makes us uh, mature, well, well well-developed, interesting. And uh, just like Miguel said, you know, now he gets in the car and he evokes a huge amount of empathy in advance. or, Or he used to have to do that. I guess it's probably second nature by now. Yeah, these days it's automatic. Yeah. So, you know, the muse can carry people away, right? The muse can become the the thing. And um, the muse can get constellated in a way that takes over the personality. And anybody who is um, bipolar, right, can, can talk about that. And so... It, again, it's just about consciousness and how to actually use the muse rather than having the muse use you. Well, those are my thoughts, Vince. What do you think? Oh, I think that there's a lot of truth in that. You know, it's how you um, 
how how you I don't, I don't even want to say control it, but being being aware of it. Uh, but that that makes me think of something else, which is the organized battle we call politics in 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 the uh, you know in in the world actually. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it seems to me that anytime a whole bunch of people, whole maybe half the people go on one side, half the people go on another side, you hear the same things from them, that they're engaged in some sort of mass complex and then maybe two battling complexes. Is uh, What do you think about that? Oh, gosh, I love that. And I think about the Palestinians and the Israelis, too. There you go. Oh, that's an example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to put that word, because I couldn't think of it earlier, the mighty daimon. So the mighty daimon would be the muse, and it could become a demon. <laughs> and so yeah. there's a lot of mighty daimon becoming a demon right now. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 in our world, politically and otherwise. And then maybe um, maybe I'm, uh, uh, I'm shooting too much at you once, but uh, when you gave the examples before of Jekyll and Hyde and the Hulk, in both those cases, there were external substances, psychoactive substances, so to speak, the radiation in the case of the Hulk, and the potion in the case of Jekyll and Hyde. I bet you there's a lot of complex involvement when people take psychoactive drugs. What would you say about that? Wow, you know, I wouldn't know so very much about that, but it's interesting. Now, let me say the thing that that does make me think about, which is that alcohol and drugs... Um, can alter the complex and soothe it. And I think a lot of our impulse toward drinking, any addiction, really has to do with soothing a complex that is unnamed, unknown, and looms large in the unconscious. What do you think about that? Oh, I think so. Uh, The other thought I have is while it soothes one complex, there might another complex arise <laughs> you know how they say uh, he's a mean drunk right because something's coming out <laughs> oh that's really good yeah yeah the drinking personality right mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good thought i like that well it's interesting because uh some of people listening might be saying god is it are you talking about multiple personalities and schizophrenia and as i've been sh- saying in the show recently yes we all have multiple personalities and we all have schizophrenia. We're hearing voices. Different things are taking over us, uh, like avatars or something like that. So it is kind of like multiple personalities, as Vance was saying. It's not just uh, the Hulk and Dr. Banner. You know, Miguel, I would say uh, it isn't just like multiple personality. By God, it is. <laughs> and absolutely. And you know, one of the things that that we taught of Jung's was this idea that all the neuroses and all the psychoses were really an impulse within us seeking wholeness. So with multiple personality disorder, it could be these different aspects that have gone into shadow had to be put away because they weren't welcomed growing up, you know. Um, and so now they want to be integrated. They want to become part of the whole. And that's what individuation means. And that's what Jung was all about. So, you know, the thing that I find so valuable, and I think I've heard you allude to this numerous times on the shows, was that 
the health of the psyche depends upon the relationship between consciousness and, and unconsciousness, the ego and the shadow or complexes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, speaking of um, um, these types of things, uh, I just got finished reading uh, the Philip K. Dick book, We Can Build You, which <laughs> seems, you know, do you know about that book? Have I you read don't, it? but I can't wait. <laughs> oh, without giving too much away. I mean, it's been out for years and years and years, like since the 60s. The whole thing is really about this one guy that has a complex about this uh, character, Pris. And uh, the, the book drove me nuts. It's the only one that I really didn't like of Philip K. Dick. And the essence of it was this guy basically tossed over his sanity because of, of loving this Pris who was a schizophrenic. In fact, the whole thing is about schizophrenic, schizophrenic all throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And um, so, which brings the question uh, to you, um, can people, you know, quote unquote, fall in love and then have a complex about a person? I mean, be obsessed about a person. And that brings up, of course, the uh, question of obsession and complexes. Um, how about that? Okay. Well, this is what my colleague in the inner journey used to say. He used to say that love is the only psychosis not listed in the DSM. <laughs> love it. <laughs> great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. So, you know, this whole business of what modern psychiatry calls disease what it pathologizes, makes us bad and wrong for. Jung actually saw these as impulses toward health. He said it's the psyche trying to get whole, it's trying to heal. And um, a breakdown in somebody's ability to function in a sick system, the inability to follow orders by a corrupt authority, for example, these are signs of a healing, uh, wholeness-seeking psyche. The outer world pathologizes. It says, oh, you know, you can't hold a job. That's what it said to me. You can't hold a job. But really, the job I couldn't hold was in these really sick systems that my parents had taught me by the way they raised me uh, were no damn good, you know? So, yeah. I, yeah, I was having dinner the other night with um, one of my neighbors and a couple of my neighbors, and, and he was a federal government employee for a long time, and he said he was unable to implement life-denigrating commands, and so he got fired. And insubordination is not allowed in the government, right? And I, I told him, well, that's a wonderful impulse. But, you know, just to bring this back to the, the uh, kind of the neurosis and psychoses of our time, um, including multiple personality disorder and, and so forth. But I started thinking, and I'm curious what you guys think about this. I started thinking before this interview that we could really call it a bipolar complex, which is the person who lives between depression and mania. We could call it um, another complex, the borderline complex, which is somebody maybe who lives between need and hate. I hate you don't leave me. Uh, the schizoid complex, um, the multiple personality disorder complex, and so forth, and really just start to think of these as complexes. And uh, if we do that, there's a way out. And it has to do with integration. Yes, I think it's uh, 
I, I, I mean, as somebody who's been diagnosed as a manic depressive, like the really bad, um, the really bad kind, yeah. uh, I've had no issues with, I don't have, I haven't taken meds in forever. Mm-hmm. And um, as we we're talking, it really became recognizing, integrating, labeling, and often uh, these markers, these silly rituals and markers that I use to understand when I'm cycling from one place to the other. And it's really worked out well. I mean, if there's anything, I think I, because of the, and also obviously a holistic life, uh, depth psychology, all the spiritual tools that you need, psycho-spiritual tools that you need to get better. And these days I'm what I call a rapid cycler. I move in and so fast that the one victim is my memory. I, I don't remember, you know, it is when you're in a complex, you kind of don't remember when, what happened when you're out of a complex or you kind of go, well, that wasn't me. Maybe it wasn't so bad. Your ego makes all these excuses. <laughs> the one victim of being a, a rapid cycler. But have you ever wondered, uh, Rachel, why humans are that way? Why do we become so fragmented Unlike other animals that seem to have their shit together, uh, do you think it is it? I know Jung was obviously talking about the 19th century, the age of reason, the industrial, the the falling of religion, that uh, the suppression of desires in a Victorian age. But uh, do you think it's it's our it's a side effect of our modern living, or is this the way human beings have been built in forever and ever, or is this? Is this a question that you've ever pondered? Oh, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. We have a oh. conflict for that. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolutely. By the way, thanks for putting manic depressive in there. You know, I was raised on the term bipolar because I'm 56 years old, and that's what it was called when I was young. But I like bipolar better. I do too. <laughs> I do too. And I, I like shadow better than conflicts. It's more mysterious. I, I do too. And I love being politically incorrect these days, <laughs> wherever I can get away with it. But to answer your question, you know, I think we're so fragmented because the authorities we're exposed to are batshit crazy. And those may be our parents or our teachers or our babysitters. But even if you have really terrific parents, you're still exposed to some crazy ass authorities in your life as a child. And, um, you know, this thing called Trump derangement syndrome, I think of that as a very significant collective complex, uh, collective to, to Vance's point, you know, and it's about a concern that our ruler is a psychopath. And, you know, I just tell people, you know, you need a higher authority and that higher authority needs to come from within you. The more oriented toward external authority someone is, I think the more susceptible they are to getting fragmented, you know? Those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's, uh, I love it how it's a form of complex, but also, don't you think also it's a form of projection or as even as one Jungian said, we dump everything on Trump or, you know, replace Trump with Biden or 
your teacher or your ex-boss or your the girl that dumped you. We dump things on them so we don't have to deal with them and we project on them. And it can be our worst, it can be our best. There are people who, Trump is the savior and no, you're supposed to save yourself. Trump is the greatest evil. No, you're supposed <laughs> to look into the darkness within you. I mean, I think there's a lot of that going on too. And I think it's 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 on purpose. I think the powers that be want that. They don't want people to look at themselves because then we'd rebel. <laughs> oh, I think that's just exactly right. And nothing is just one thing, you know. So I love what you're adding here, and that is projection. Yes, it can be a projection, and it certainly is. Um, yeah, it, I think it's a whole bunch of things. But, you know, I also think this particular complex that is called uh by the popular meme or, or whatever, Trump derangement syndrome, TDS. I think it's been cultivated on purpose, you know? And this is what I'm so passionate about is helping people understand that their ego is not doing its job. It's not mature and well-developed enough to stand at the gate and stand guard. You know, you've heard that the battleground for the soul is the mind. I got that from Christian orthodoxy, and man, is that true. And so, you know, our minds are being taken over. It's called mind control. And Trump derangement syndrome is just an example of some really sophisticated mind control. But if we will learn how to integrate our complexes and develop in doing so that mature um, ego, We'll have somebody standing guard at the gate, just like you do. You remember you just talked a few minutes ago about cycling back and forth, but then you've got this ego now that holds overview that kind of intervenes. It sounds like you can speak to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, well, in seven sermons of the dead, that's the, uh, that's the purpose of Abraxas to stand over Helios and Satan sort of looking down at both of them. Oh, I love that. Makes me think of Michael, <laughs> yes, the angel yes. of our time. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he kicks the dragon's ass, though. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and orthodoxy would also say that this is the path to becoming incorruptible. And this is something I'm really passionate about. I mean, how do we become incorruptible? So it requires integrating and owning our complexes. If I have a power complex, I can be exploited around that. The promise of a new power position, if I have an insecurity complex, if I have a complex around my intellect or people pleasing, I can be exploited. So I was thinking, I'm seeing a vision of a battle at the fork in the road. You know, there's <laughs> you're mm. at the fork in a road and people, half the people want to go one way, half the people want to go the other way, and then they start fighting and they don't get anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and if they were aware of it and they had choices, maybe they could uh, make a more intelligent decision, explore, you know, get some facts or something. But th there's the complex right there, right? The two parts of yourself, maybe that, that split off, you become brittle, then you fracture. And then oh. uh, there's the complex, right? Oh boy, that is right. I love the image of a fork in the road because it brings to my mind a house divided. You know, a house divided cannot stand. And so integrating complexes is the unifying uh, thing that we need to do. And 
and it renders us incorruptible because we're also now indivisible. You know, you cannot be divided against yourself when you've done your work integrating the complexes. So that's what makes me think of Vance. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a labyrinth. I love it. And, uh, Again, this is, a, I think, a crucial topic, especially in these very strange times of, a, I don't know if it's a world apocalypse, but I think it's, we can agree there is a psychic apocalypse going across Western world. So mm. handle of our complexes is more important than ever and really shedding a light on this uh, Jungian idea that is as we talk about has been very overlooked today. So, but uh, Rachel, uh, for people who want to know more about you and your work, uh, how can they reach you over the internets or any other medium? Yeah, well, they're welcome to email me. Um, and my email is rachel at the org. So that's T H E C O S. And that stands for the collaborative operating system. So Rachel at the C O S dot O R G. Wonderful. Well, audience, uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, but we are at the end. Uh, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company as always. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> been very enlightening and educational and uh, it's great to uh, be able to talk with you, Rachel, about all this. Yeah. Agreed. Rachel, thank you very much for coming on Aeon Byte, and we look forward to having you and your complexes in a future date. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll bring my complexes too, Dora. Me too. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Bye, you guys. Bye-bye. And there you have it, my beloved True Seekers. The first part of our not-complex topic of complexes. Starting to realize the many yous that exist within your psyche. Thinking about those moments of overwhelm or abandonment that trigger so many possessions and shadow surges. The cures are here. In our second part, we discuss more why humans are so dang fragmented in the first place. Rachel discusses the mass complexes happening in this election season. And we talk on whether the Bible has example of complexes or other Jungian ideas. Rachel will share ways to cope and even cure complexes, giving intimate examples from her own life. Can active imagination work? What about the shadow and how it interacts with complexes? Is fear a part of complexes, and how can we defeat this mind-killer? And much, much more. So please become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon for the full therapy. And plenty of more rewards and a direct path to joining a Gnostic community that is becoming the revolution. Instead of me maimon explaining all the benefits, Please go to the God Above God Dead Cam or just message my ass. Our virtual Alexandria meetings are going very well, as I and others provide authentic Gnostic wisdom and rituals that are helping members navigate this, yes, 
complex civilization. Don't forget the new merch store, which is very popular. Let's keep growing this red pill cafeteria. 2020 has been Aeon Byte's best year, and that's largely because many are realizing only Gnosis will set us free. You are the final authority, have always been. And now you must finally integrate all of your versions, perhaps across time. Anything else would be foolish, even sane. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.